Proverbs chapter 6, let's go there. If you'll turn in your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 6 through 11. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. We're continuing to spend time in the book of Proverbs. We're not preaching through it per se, we're preaching in it. And so we're spending about eight weeks in the book of Proverbs. If uh, you're new to us, uh, we're about on our fourth sermon now and about halfway through our little series in Proverbs. And so this morning it's our privilege to turn to chapter 6 and consider what the Lord would have us hear and see and be changed by here in verses 6 through 11. Let's hear God's word as we hear the inspired writer write these words. Beginning in verse 6 of chapter 6, we read, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Let's pray. Father, would you teach us this morning that we would indeed learn from the ant, that we would be wise, Father, that you would remove any, any form of laziness and sluggishness from our lives that we may be pleasing to you in every way. So, Lord, would you teach us now what this means and what this looks like, and by your grace, would you transform us? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as we walk through some of the Proverbs, it's been our aim to try to give us a good sense of what wisdom is. So we began with really the first and second sermon, uh, trying to get a foundational understanding of what wisdom is about. It's a practical kind of thing. It's not just knowledge. It's not just intellect. It's, it's something that we do. It's how we live. And so we want to understand what wisdom is both foundationally and practically speaking. So now we're trying to spend some sermons just pointing to several different topics, if you will, or, or aspects of our lives, characteristics of our lives that, that as we apply wisdom and as we seek to live out in wisdom, what it looks like in various ways. Jeremy covered that well last week in his sermon on sexual purity. And today we're going to be looking at laziness. We're going to be looking at the sluggard. Now, there's a lot in the book of Proverbs about this dude. And the picture we see about the sluggard is not a good one. See, it's important for us as we think about God's call upon our lives, it's important for us to think about that, that God cares about the totality of who we are. He's not just concerned about our eternal destiny. He's, he's secured that in Christ. He's not just concerned about what we will one day be though he is. He's concerned about the totality of who we are. He's concerned about how you live out your lives today, the thoughts you think, the motives that you have, the words you speak, the actions you take. He's concerned about the entirety of who we are. The tragedy of the sluggard is that his whole life is a waste. You know, we tend to rationalize laziness, don't we? Many different ways we do this. 
But one of the things that we tend to rationalize is, is we think about laziness as, as, be- as merely being a personality trait. But friends, laziness is not a character problem. Laziness is a spiritual problem. And that is what I want us to really understand as we unpack what we see here in the book of Proverbs this morning. We're going to be looking at not just chapter 6, we're going to be looking at many different Proverbs and some other passages as well. And we need to understand that laziness is not a character problem. It is a deeply spiritual problem. Laziness is not a neutral matter in your life. When you consider what the Bible has to say about laziness, it doesn't refer to it as some neutral thing you need to work on. It, it presents it as wickedness. It's evil. It's a sinful issue. So we need to understand that. As you, as you read throughout the book of Proverbs, the sluggard is addressed no less than 14 times, maybe more. If you use just the word sluggard, if you use other different words it, the, pertaining to laziness and slothfulness, we, we see it refers to this topic so often. There's a lot to be said, a lot to be warned about concerning the slothful, the sluggard. You get to the New Testament and you see um, counsel from various writers and you see not only in Jesus' ministry but also in, in Paul and what he has to say and other Writers as well, you see it in Peter. Somebody was reminding me this morning of what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, where we're called to admonish the idol. We see all kinds of references to this throughout. In the New Testament, in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, we're, we're told there that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and, hear this, to purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good works. You hear what you're saved to. We know what we're saved from. We're saved from judgment. We're saved from wrath. We're saved to be a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so when you begin to understand the warning of being like the sluggard, you see the other side as well in the Bible of how we're called to be a zealous people a passionate people who are filled with good works. We're going to look at all of that this morning. Now, as you hear this sermon today, as you hear this message, as you hear these verses, there's a number of ways you could listen to and receive what you're going to hear today. One, you could listen to this sermon with pride and say, I'm not lazy, therefore this does not apply. You could listen to it in despair and be overcome with just how lazy you really are and how terrible of a person you are and how worthless you are and all of that kind of thing. So there's the the danger of pride. There's the danger of despair. There's also the danger of overreaction. Maybe I'm not doing enough and so therefore because of this sermon now you become a workaholic and you do much damage and harm to your family because of it. Or you could simply listen to this message today in humble repentance and realize that in some ways all of us have sluggish tendencies. All of us can be identified in some way as the sluggard and understand that while that is true, Christ calls us to repent of those ways and to trust him and to be transformed by his grace. That's how I kind of recommend you listen to it today in that light 
You see, we are called to fight against laziness and to give ourselves as a people who are zealous for good works. I think we find several important things to consider when it comes to the lazy here in the book of Proverbs, specifically chapter 6, but we're going to see how it's addressed throughout the book. I want to begin this morning with the first, first thing I want us to see is, is a portrait of the lazy. What does the lazy sluggard look like? One thing that is quite apparent from the book of Proverbs is that Solomon does not think too highly of this person. Indeed, we find many different Proverbs not just warning us about the lazy, but mocking him, mocking the sluggard. This, this word often used throughout this book, the word sluggard, is, is someone who is sluggish, someone who is slow or hesitant to take action when necessary, and when he should be decisive and active, he's rather hesitant to do that. And Proverbs gives us a very clear portrait of what the sluggard looks like, and it's one we need to see, because I, I imagine, if you're like me, a flawed sinner, the temptation for you is, is when you think about the sluggard, you're not the one that comes to mind. When I begin reading, I'm not typically the one, when I begin reading verses 6 through 11 this week, I wasn't thinking about me initially. What was I tempted to do? I was tempted to think about, oh, that makes sense about that person and about this person and about that person. Friends, never listen to a sermon that way. I'm so glad so-and-so's here to hear this message today. Oh, friend, we're glad you're here to hear this message today. We all need to hear this message today. And so the, the temptation, when we, when we come to the sluggard, is to think you're the last person that comes to mind when, in fact, it should be you're the first person. So let's take a further look at what the Scripture says. There's several pictures we get here throughout the book of Proverbs, and we're going to begin here in our text, about the lazy, the sluggard. Number one, this person is focused on self. Look at verse 9. We're going to come back to verses 6 and 7, so I'm doing this passage a little backwards today. We're going to start in the middle, go down to the end, and we're going to come back to verses 6 and 7 at the end. But look at verse 9. He says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? There's a little mockery going here. When will you arise from your sleep? And it's as if the sluggard has no answer. Now, friends, there's a time for sleep, and there's a time for rest. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. But here he's addressing the abuse of it. Too much sleep. Too much rest. And if you go to Proverbs 26, verse 14, there he's talking about the sluggard being like a door who turns on its hinges. So does the sluggard on his bed. Proverbs 19, verse 24, another mockery verse. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Even worse, in chapter 26, verse 16, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Obviously, he's being highly sarcastic here, but he's showing just how foolish and selfish the sluggard is. Constantly making the easy, soft choice, day by day, moment by moment, there seems to be no desire to take action. Spurgeon once remarked of the sluggard that he takes great pains to escape pains. So true. Remember two weeks ago when we looked at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, concerning the heart. There we, re we read that we're to keep, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
You see, the problem with the sluggard is, is not found in his bed. The, the problem with the sluggard is found deep within his heart. The only desire he seems to have or she seems to have is the comfort of self. Lazy people are very selfish people. Their primary concern is them. Number two, second picture that we see, not only are they focused on self, they pursue the wrong things. Several Proverbs speak to this trait, how a man lacks sense, literally a man lacking heart. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30, we read, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. Behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11 says, He who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Now, the point the writer is making here is, is, is not so much someone lacking exertion or energy, but by putting whatever energy they do have towards worthless pursuits. In this way, they lack heart, they lack sense. See, the sluggard pursues things that lack substance because ultimately, his or her heart lacks substance. That's critical. They pursue things that lack substance because they have a heart that lacks substance. Again, it's it's not so much addressing inactivity, but an inactivity of the heart. A wrongly directed heart. So in this instance, we're not talking about the lack of activity, activity, but the wrong kinds of activity, worthless pursuits. Friends, we are so quick to recognize this in others, aren't we? It's so easy to see when someone else is wasting their time. So easy to see when someone else is lazy and wasting their lives, spending their times on their days and hours on worthless pursuits. But brothers and sisters, it would do us so well to just see how, this, how widespread this is in our own hearts. This can be seen in a, in a variety of different ways. Just to give you a few examples. Not prioritizing the task that we have. Instead of doing what needs to be done, you do what you want done. And so that shows up in our workplaces and in our schools, doesn't it? Failing to get assignments done when due. At home, letting things go. Letting the clutter increase. Not prioritizing correctly. Spending our time, secondly, on non-productive things. Just not completing our work fully or in a timely fashion. It's interesting. Research has been done on this issue in the workplace. And you can go to all kinds of different... um, websites and see the research results but one of the the sites I was looking at said on an average this is average don't freak out if you know that's not me on average of those who work an eight-hour day only two hours and 54 minutes are spent being productive just average there's always exceptions to that think about how that would look like in school or in other in other settings Maybe even in the church or at home. Maybe you're present, but you're not fully engaged. 
You're not fully involved. You're not fully invested. And you, and you count presence as activity. You may be present. You may be present right now and you're not engaged at all. Now you are. But that's my point is, is a lot of times we, we think just because I'm there means I'm doing something. Well, no, not necessarily. Then there's the category of mindless activity. Spending large amounts of time in our screens, in our smartphones, on Netflix, social media, video games. I'm not saying any of these things are bad in and of themselves, but the time in which we spend on them can lead us to all kinds of mindless, active, worthless pursuits. Guys, do you think your wife really cares how good you are at Fortnite? Or whatever thing it is you play? Ladies, or, you know, there, there, there are things in your lives as well. Social media, it's estimated that the average person spends five years of his or her life on social media. That's an average of two hours a day. For teenagers, it's an average of nine hours a day on social media. Procrastination, again, we kind of highlighted this, but again, waiting to the last minute, putting off what needs to be done, and then when you do that, you have no time or no space for other things. It can lead to other sins. At school, it can lead to cheating. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that, so I need to copy off my, my friend's paper. Friends, that's cheating. We just kind of smooth it over as if it's, it's no big deal. Everybody else does it. It's called laziness. It's wicked. That's what it is. The church, the Christian life, always procrastinating, waiting to the last minute to do the things which in turn robs you of opportunities to serve the Lord. Having to say no to the Lord in one area because you've been unfaithful in another. It's due to the condition of our hearts, due to how our hearts are engaged, will, we'll, in essence, dictate how we spend our days and how we spend our time, whether it's in worthless pursuits or in something much more meaningful. Another thing that we see about the sluggard is he's quick to give excuses. Lazy people make the best excuses. Sometimes they're pathetic excuses. Listen to what the proverb says in chapter 22, verse 13, about the sluggard. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I should be killed in the streets. In chapter 26, verse 13, again, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. And then later in that same chapter, it says, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The sluggard makes outlandish excuses. A lion in the streets. And he's wise in his own eyes. Doesn't even see himself as lazy. You know, we can come up with some great excuses. We always have the excuse, well, I'm too busy, I don't have the time. But we can come up with some good ones. We convince ourselves with our excuses, don't we? We're so convincing. You may not be so convincing to someone else, but you're so convincing to yourself. 
thoroughly convinced in their mind why they shouldn't do something. Think about that, just how that plays down in your life practically, obviously, at work, at home, at school, just in life in general, but spiritually think about how that shakes out. We have all these excuses why we can't serve the Lord, don't we? Why, why we shouldn't share the gospel with this person and engage in evangelistic conversations. We have all these excuses of, of why we can't serve faithfully. God's given us a gift, and yet we have these excuses, and we know better than the Lord why we can't use them. Issues of membership, things like that. I, I'm, I'm mindful of the, the parable of the talents. Matthew chapter 25. Remember that story Jesus shared there, the parable of the talents, where it says it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then the master goes away and then he returns. Well, in the meantime, what did the three servants do? They one that received five, he puts it to good use and earns five more. And the one that was received two puts it to good use, invests it, receives two more back in return. And the one who had one talent, what did he do? He buried a hole, dug a hole and buried it in the ground. When the master came back, they all accounted for what they did with their talents. The one who had five brought the master five. The one with two brought him two. And the one who had one said, here is your one talent back. And this is what we read. He said in verse 24, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him. Notice what, these, what the master says. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has will be given more. And he, who has an abund- and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It gets real real quick, doesn't it? Jesus is equating slothfulness with wickedness. Worthlessness. Someone who is suit- suited for the outer darkness, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's describing a person being sent to hell. We're so quick to give excuses, but our excuses will not hold. So there's a portrait. We could say much more about the sluggard, but we need to move on if we're going to receive some warning. Second point, a warning to the lazy. We find that back in chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Solomon makes clear that the sluggard is on the pathway of destruction. And here he makes a reference to poverty. The sluggard is only going to gain poverty. Poverty is going to come upon him and want. Other Proverbs take this even further. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 19, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Notice how he's there, he's contrasting righteousness and unrighteousness, 
And he's categorizing the sluggard in that of unrighteousness. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Proverbs 21, verse 25, The desire of the sluggard kills him. Notice the severity of the language here. And, and again, in chapter 15, verse 19, we see the way of the two paths, the two different paths with two different destinations. The way of the righteous, the way of the unrighteous. Friends, laziness is destructive. It's destructive not just because it will embarrass you, not just because it will make life difficult, not just because it will impact your relationships, though all of those things are true, Laziness is destructive because it ultimately will lead you to hell. I'll repeat what I said earlier. Laziness is not merely a character problem. It is a deeply rooted spiritual problem. The way of the sluggard reveals a significant defect in the heart. It reveals whether or not you're living for you or whether you're living for the Lord and our work ethic is a good evaluator of whether or not we're walking towards Christ or away from Christ. Listen, I want you to listen to me carefully. Laziness can be, two important words, can be a sign of not being a Christian. I'm not saying it is always, but laziness can be a sign of not being a Christian. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, listen to what he says, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul seems to tie an unwillingness to provide, to work, to denying the faith. Obviously, he's not talking about those who are disabled and unable to work. We're not talking about that. He's talking about those who are fully able, fully capable. He's not talking about those who have moved into retirement or anything like that. He's, he's saying, listen, if you fail to work and provide for your family and you're able, you've denied the faith, you're worse than an unbeliever. He, he seems to equate this laziness to a denial of the faith. In the ministry of Jesus, we see the wisdom of God in the flesh. We see one who came to complete, we're told, the work that he was given by the Father. In John 5, he says, I came to do the work my Father gave me. And in John 17, he says to his Father, he says, I've accomplished the work you gave me. Jesus had work to do here. And he did it. He accomplished it. Friends, the, the proper response to our laziness, to our sluggishness, is not just to try harder. If you hear this sermon today about the sluggard, and you're leaving, I just need to do better. I just need to try. I need to not be as lazy. You've missed, you've missed it. We're just exposing what is true in our hearts. And then how do, we, how do we change? How are we changed by this? See, the proper response is not just to try harder. The proper response to laziness is to repent of it and run to Jesus. The one who worked to bring us salvation and the one who died for our lazy ways. Jesus died for your pitiful excuses. He hung on the cross and he died for those times where you've been clearly been given an assignment and you refused to do it. He died for lazy people. 
And it's only when we trust in Christ and we find the forgiveness for our sluggishness that we are then renewed, given new desires, new affections that that are geared towards working and reflecting the image of God as God designed us. Listen, we are saved by the work of Jesus. God just didn't say, okay, I'm going to save people, boom. Jesus came and he lived, he actually worked as a carpenter. He lived out his daily lives, he fulfilled the work that he was given by his Father, ultimately as he fulfilled all righteousness and went to a cross and three days later was, was raised from the dead. And then after that he ascended to the Father's right hand and one day he's coming again. He did all of this so that you and I could have our sins forgiven and be counted righteous. And so our response to laziness is not immediately, I need to do better. Honey, help me do better. Wake me up earlier. <laughs> Buddhists can do that. I could say that in a Hindu temple. What makes this so important is to see the gospel centrality of what we need if we're not going to be lazy. And our ultimate goal is not that I'm, okay, I'm no longer lazy. My ultimate goal is that I would live my life, that I would pour my life out for the glory and praise of God, that I would be a living sacrifice, zealous for good works, that I would pour out my heart and my life for the glory and praise of God. And listen, you will not do that until you have met Christ. The first step is to, to, to bow the knee to King Jesus and to acknowledge that without him you are nothing and you can do nothing and that you need him for everything. And that he died for people just like you and that he bore the wrath of God on your behalf for your laziness. As we're saved by the finished work of Christ and we're given the Holy Spirit and we need to remember that laziness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Listen, according to Peter, there is a lion in the street. I thought the, lazy, the sluggard was just hallucinating. Now, there really is a lion out there seeking whom he may devour. And Jesus has crushed him. He's done so to redeem you and to make you new. So let this be a reminder, be a warning to us. Let's find hope in this. Following after Jesus means that we are being conformed to his image more and more each day. And that will be demonstrated how you live. So if you're constantly lazy, that's not reflecting the character of Christ. That's why I said earlier, it could be the case that your laziness is pointing out something far different than just a bad day. Speaks to a spiritual condition. So we've seen a portrait of the lazy. We've seen a warning to the lazy. Let's now see an encouragement to the lazy. Go back to verses 6 through 8. Begins there and says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. So what does Solomon say to the sluggard? He says, Go learn from the ants. Notice this contrast here he's given between the ant and the sluggard. 
There are several things that we need to learn from the ant in her industrious nature here. First of all, we see that we need to, to work with right motives. Verse 7, look at, look at verse 7, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread. This ant is a self-starter. There's no one standing over the ant saying for the tenth time, clean up your room. There's no one standing over the ant saying, be more productive, get off your phone at work. Not the ant. The ant has within herself all the motivation needed to be industrious and useful. We know we find many references to the harvest and gathering of food throughout the Proverbs and especially in light of the sluggard and the warnings given to him. This is likely because individuals and communities, especially in this day and time, depended much on these efforts. And so this is why you see that reference. But an important lesson that we find in the midst of all of that is that we need to get to a place where we work and serve and live out the calling God has given us with right motives. And we have those motives given to us in Scripture. Several godly motives we have. First of all, working hard is a reflection of our love for God. Working hard is a reflection of our love for God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. All right, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Notice what he says, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. There's instruction then for the masters. Hard work is a reflection of our love for God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do. <laughs> he's not about to give a long list. He's, Let me just stop and cover it all. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you're making supper, whether you're cleaning your room, whether you're feeding the baby, whether you're filling out reports at work, whether you're doing conference calls, whether you're talking to your neighbor, whether you're taking a test, writing a paper, do it all to the glory of God. It is a reflection of your love for God as you do it. Whatever you do is a reflection of your view of God and your love or their like thereof of God. Friends, we should work hard because it's a reflection of our love for God, but it's also a reflection of our love of others. How we serve them. We need to have the right motives. Are we seeking to do good to benefit others? Fathers, are you seeking to do good to your children? As an employee, are you seeking to do good at work? We need to have the right motives, and we could get into the Again, go back to Proverbs 4, 23. It's out of the heart, flow the springs of life. We need to have the right motive. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why should I do this? Because it's a reflection of your view and love of God and how you care for others, your view and love of others as well. Second truth that we see, an encouragement we find, is that we need to have the right perspective. Notice the ant. She prepares her bread in summer and she gathers her food in harvest. 
She plans for the future. She's diligent as she looks ahead. She doesn't just live for the moment. Friends, we are called to be stewards of the day that we're given today because I realize the Bible also talks about we're not promised another moment. Today has enough trouble of its own, right? James talks about that. We shouldn't pridefully look ahead, but listen, what we're called to do in Scripture is that we should be very careful in how we live out our day today as in view of how it will impact tomorrow and ultimately our eternity We steward today in light of tomorrow. And that's what the ant does. Not just living in the moment. When we just live in the moment without any kind of, you know, in in kind of mindless activity, we're just a waste. And then lastly, we need to know there's reward. We need to know there's reward. Time after time again, you'll see how the Proverbs speaks about the hand of the diligent those who aren't sluggards, those who work hard and how they will have plenty and how they will not succumb to poverty and how they'll be made rich. So at this point, I think it's important to say that that Proverbs needs to be rightly understood. Proverbs speaks in generalities, not absolute guarantees. What we're finding in Proverbs is what is generally, normally true. You can always find exceptions. That's what a proverb is. It's a general truth. Generally, this is what takes place. Normally, this is what happens. So we could say poverty is not always the result of laziness. There are many people in this world who are poor because they're victims of systemic injustice. There are many people in this world who are poor because of natural disaster or because they live in a, war, in a, in a nation that is a wreck economically. Some of the hardest working people I've met are very poor people. So you can't equate poverty with laziness as if it's an absolute equal. It's not always the case. And so again, you need to keep that in mind as you read the Proverbs. Again, what the Proverbs say here is normally true. We could read other passages Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 12, 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. Proverbs 22, verse 29, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. What we find there is that the one who works hard will be rewarded, while the sluggard only yields pain and destruction. We need to know there is benefit. There is reward for those who work hard. Now as we think about this this chapter and this contrast that we have between the ant and the sluggard, a warning not to be like the sluggard, an encouragement to be like the ant, to go to the ant, consider her ways, and be wise. There are just four quick applications, and we could list 20, but I want to give you four. Just as I thought through this a little bit more, and we're going to kind of repeat some things I said earlier, but I want to reinforce them here as we close. What are some things that we, we, we should kind of take home with this day? Well, number one, let me just say this. Sleep is important. Sleep is not being condemned in this passage. 
Psalm 127 talks about how the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Sleep is an act of faith. It's a reminder to us all that God is God and we are not. There is only one who doesn't sleep or slumber. So sleep is a good gift of God. The Sabbath principle is for our good. This pattern of work and rest. Notice though in that principle there's more days of work than there are days of rest. Right? Sleep is important. It's a gift of God, but it's not to be abused. Number two, we were created to work. And what I mean, you can apply this immediately to your job. I get that. But even if you're not employed, like clocking in and getting a paycheck or whatever the case may be, this is true across the board, whether you're retired, whether you're um, in school still, whether you're at home, whether you're in the workplace, whatever the case, whatever your situation is, this is, this is true for all of us. We are created to work. Part of being made in the image of God means we were created to work. We were created to be like God, who is a worker. He created. He worked to bring about creation. And because we're made in His image, we're to be like Him. Work is not a result of the fall of sin. Work was simply frustrated with sin, but we were created to work long before sin entered the world. And it ought to be our desire to reflect God's image in all that we do, including our work. And I would say this, laziness distorts God's character. That's why Christian employees ought to be the best employees. You ought to be the best worker, whatever you do. Christian students ought to be the best students. I'm not saying you get straight A's, but, but you're the hardest. You're, you're giving yourself to that hard work. We're created to be like this because it's, it's a reflection of God's character. Paul says in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're an engineer, if you're a school teacher, if you're a plumber, if you're a firefighter, if you're a student, if you're just happy to be here, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. I think it was Luther that said that the world is run by worn out people. It's true. Look to Jesus. He's a model of what it means to work. Friends, we were created to be workers. And that can be seen in a number of different ways. Number three, avoid the tendencies of idleness and idolatry. The temptation in this area of diligence and laziness can come in two ways. One, to be idle in our work and desire more rest than is needed. Or, number two, to make an idol of our work while neglecting the rest God has provided. The lazy man tends to make an idol out of comfort while the workaholic tends to idolize his or her work. 
neither are being commended. So we need to avoid those two temptations. And then number four, we need to remember that laziness can ruin our witness. How you conduct yourself at work, how you conduct yourself at home, how you care for your children, how you serve your spouse, how you respect your parents, how you live in front of others at school, all of the things about our life, the way you go about, our, the way you go about your life says a lot about your faith. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and waste time at work and you don't spend time with your kids and you always copy off your friend's homework, you are ruining your witness and bringing shame to the name of Christ. Not only does it do harm to the gospel, it does significant harm to people and ruins your witness in the meantime. Back in Romans chapter 12, Paul said in verse 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Friends, that's what we're called to. We're called to learn from the ways of the sluggard. We're called to avoid those ways. It's a selfish way. We're called to something greater. Something infinitely better. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Live with zeal and live with intentionality. Don't waste your life and don't be a sluggard. Bow your knee to the Lord and pour out your life serving him. Let's pray. Father, we, we recognize that as we hear these words, that there is so much that occupies our hearts and our minds through a given day or through a given week. Lord, would you search our hearts right now and would you help us see sluggish ways? Would you help us see our sluggish tendencies and would you help us to confess them and repent? Father, we know that apart from you we can do nothing and we can, we can be nothing. We thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you've called us and that you've given us work to do. Lord, would you help us to live with zealous intentionality, that we would not be slothful in zeal, but we would be fervent in spirit in every way as we serve you. Father, would you speak to us and would you help us be more like Christ? Father, it may be that there are some who have not repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus. Father, would you search their hearts even now and show them their need of a Savior? Would you lead them to life everlasting? Father, there's no greater joy than to know you. And there's no greater joy than to know you and to walk in faithfulness and obedience to you. Would you make us a people that reflect your image as we seek to serve you all our days? Father, thank you so much for reminding us of these things. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.